long day I got a lot to say It feels like I'm carrying a two-ton weight I go see a friend Hello, I'm Monsignor Patrick Winslow. And I am Father Matthew Kauth. And we are speaking from the rooftop. A podcast brought to you by 10 Books, in which we invite you to join our conversation out here in the open air. Where we look out upon the world around us from the rooftop of the church and share with you what we see. Makes me Greetings, Father Winslow. And to you as well. It feels like we just uh, had a conversation not too long ago. You know, we're getting better at this. I think we're actually um, stepping up our game in terms of a timing. Let's hope that we keep the, the the time between this one and the next one. Well, because I know that there are just thousands and maybe tens of people tens waiting of people with, waiting with, when they don't with hear bated us breath. It, it's, it's, it's very clear to me. I mean, I have no actual indication or reality that that's the case, but but since when did um, you know my ego ever bow to reality? <sighs> yeah, exactly. Do you want me to answer that question? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here's one of the topics that I wanted to throw out, throw out there for the two of us to talk about. Is, I can't remember why it came up. I feel like I was having a conversation with somebody about teaching and teaching in high school and education sort of in that milieu. And then it occurred to me after I had that conversation that maybe this is something that we should talk about. So here we are. Hmm. Um, You know that when I went from graduate school in the sciences to philosophy, that I've mentioned in the past that that was, I had something of an arrogant attitude. I thought to myself, oh, here I'm in the hard sciences. I'm going to philosophy with people just sitting around thinking. You know, I had no idea that there was a science of metaphysics or a science of philosophy at all. It never, ever, ever registered for me. The only philosophy class I had was in undergraduate school, and it was one of these, you know, surveys of modern philosophers. So it seems like everybody's just throwing out their ideas. Uh, it didn't seem like a right, real science right, of anything. Right, right. It was just a potpourri of thinking. Yeah. Um, so when... I began my studies at Catholic University and was taking these philosophy classes. I had a number of epiphanies. One of them was how much of a lemming I was, how much of a follower I was relative to my own, what I thought was my own mind. Mm. So here is the uh, the metaphor that I had come up with, that we all look through the world, look at the world through lenses, and that these lenses are concepts that alter the way in which we perceive. So, for example, a notion of equality. If I were to hold up, there are two batteries here in front of us, if I hold two of these two batteries, And I would say to somebody on the street, hey, are these two things equal? Some people might say yes. Some people might say no. Some people might say they're equal because it's basic, you know, basic same shape, color. They they serve the same function, so on and so forth. And some people might say, no, there's a, there's slightly, there's slight variations in each one of them. So they're each unique, et cetera, et cetera. But what's happening there 
is the notion of equality is something that they are operating from that they've probably never ever examined. Sure. So in this case, you just determined you delineated the difference between equality of sameness, exactly, you know, versus equality of of um, of goodness. Exactly. So most people walk around through life thinking, of course I know what equality is. Of course mm. I know what fair is. Of course I know what justice is. Of course I know what these things are. And yet, when is the last time you examined them? When is the last time you took these lenses off and you looked at them and you looked at your notion of equality? You looked at your notion of justice. You looked at your notion of this, that, or the other. And I would dare say most people haven't. Mm-hmm. But when you studied philosophy in a, in a very clear way, you are forced to. You have to have these distinctions. You need to understand them appropriately. You have to discuss them. And as you, as you so do, you are very carefully developing and forming the lenses through which you perceive reality. Most of us just grow up in a culture and the culture around us coherently and incoherently forms these lenses for us. Sure. And we think that somehow we have a fresh view on reality mm-hmm. when in fact the culture and the world around us put the lenses in front of our eyes. Right, right, right. This is the old, you remember the old allegory of the cave, mm-hmm. you know, with Plato, which is kind of the classic thing most people that study philosophy sort of start with, which is these poor souls or these people are inside of a cave and all they have in this cave is these images that are cast upon the wall in front of them. They've never been out of the cave. And they think, of course, that that's reality. And it's just a light behind them, a firelight behind them, and people are making very shadows and things, and that's all of reality. And so getting out of the cave into the sunlight is that idea that I'm not just seeing what they've told me to see or what they've conditioned me to see. I'm actually seeing in the full light of day. I'm seeing the sun. Um, that's a totally different kind of light and a totally different kind of world. And every time you, anyone studies philosophy, they have that that sort of moment where they, they, in some sense, we could say it's properly woke. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Uh, because um, because it is that shocking epiphany. Yeah, it is. Then wait a minute. So let me tell you where I think it happens a lot uh, in, in the area of the faith, which is um, the churches teaching it's her doctrine which is defined and infallibly taught by the church that <clears throat> that ordination to the priesthood is reserved to men mm. uh, this um, this teaching is often in the current in our current times perceived as to be to be an injustice and incoherent with the sense of equality and dignity between men and women. So when you say uh, that Christ chose only men to be his apostles and therefore his successors and those priests that are ordained with those successors can only be men, uh, that is considered to be, to the modern mind, to the modern lenses, a violation of the Christian doctrine that all men and women are equal. And it gets to the question of, well, what then does equality mean? Right. and so we have an understanding of a equality of nature. We have a common human nature. We understand that there's an equal dignity, um, but it, but we do not see 
that women are preferred uh, by God and there's an unequality, a lack of equality or an inequality because they're allowed to bear children and give birth and that men can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, we certainly don't see a lack of equality when men are ordained priests and women aren't. Uh, we don't see those things as violations of equality because we have a deeper understanding of equality as it applies to human persons. Mm. And yet the outside world, they do not have that concept of equality. Uh, they have that sameness, that almost like datum thing where it has to have the same function, the same opportunity, the same this, that, and the other thing. And the same outcome. And the same the outcome. outcome. Exactly. And and we began with them completely, we're, we're completely dismissed by many people who are awash in the lenses of this world yeah. because they look at it and they say, that's an incoherent. You say equality and yet you do this. Right, right. You know, it, it brings me to a position that I, I find often with the, the men in, in class where, you remember when you were studying philosophy and in, in the beginning, like maybe in the beginning, you were really examining the lenses because you're, you're reading Plato's dialogues, which is all about that, right? Mm-hmm. What is justice? What is friendship? What mm-hmm. is love? And he, he just constantly, in that method of his, breaking down people's suppositions about they, what they think that they know. And of course, Socrates... And where do those concepts come from? Right. And Socrates was considered to be the wisest man because he knew mm-hmm. that he knew nothing, right? The right. Oracle of Delphi. Um, and yet he did know some things. He certainly knew, knew that they didn't know anything. Right. <laughs> um, but then you you start you keep going in philosophy, and there's certain concepts that have been worked out by our forebears that have proven to be true, that they see, but you don't see them in the beginning. So imagine, I'm not sure if you recall the those sort of metaphysical principles you learned, like form and matter, mm-hmm. act and potency, the principle of non-contradiction, all those sorts of things. That you the, the, the bedrock or the amino acids, the building blocks of, mm-hmm. of right thinking about reality. And I remember memorizing them all, because you have to. But in memorizing them, what I'm fundamentally doing is I'm taking someone else's work, and I believe them, and I have good reason to believe them. And so I, because I don't see what form and matter are, what act and potency is, I simply make an act of belief. And so my will in some sense, causing my intellect to ad- adhere to something that I don't actually see. But that's not the goal. And so when I see the guys do that, they have to do that in the beginning because they, they can't learn otherwise. Mm-hmm. It's a natural faith-seeking understanding. They believe their teachers, and but we have to get them to the point of understanding, or that sciencia, as you said, that real knowledge. And you see it when it happens all of a sudden. Well, so not, not for all of them. <laughs> right. <laughs> you get to a certain point where like, they see this. They have, they're real scientists now. They have scientia, knowledge. Um, but it's the same thing on the level of faith. So when you were speaking, I was, was considering the fact that we all, if we have divine and Catholic faith, um, we're not making those, not necessarily making those attempts even to understand the particular teaching. So, I mean, how many people have you known in the parish that simply wouldn't question the reality of an all-male priesthood because they just have divine Catholic faith, right? right? Someone worked this out who happened to be the son of God. And right. so it's true. Mm-hmm. And yet, if you want to see, have some sciencia about the thing, you can. You can get to the point on a lot of these topics if you have faith first and engage them properly and get at least close to a kind of knowledge of it in itself. But if you're on the outside and you don't have divine and Catholic faith, 
just seeing this thing, as you say, from the lenses of the world, that it's it's veritably impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, you're talking two different languages in some sense. Mm-hmm. Which is why I think with evangelization and catechesis, getting to those lenses is the first thing you have to do. Mm. Because otherwise, they're co- th- these folks who are searching are constantly experiencing intellectual obstacles. Yes, and I think I think a, there's a, a big moral obstacle here too, in, in the sense that if you had divine and Catholic faith and you received the teachings of the church and you received them through the instrumentation of this priest in your parish, right, or your parents who were Catholic or whatever, if you have been betrayed by those persons, right, your your epistemological, your 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 that's a, that's a word you're going to tell me. You're going to stop, stop, stop me. You, yeah. right? no, but they're suspect, right? You're suspect, right? You, you I, find I, them I don't want to put my credence in what they delivered to me, even though it's not theirs. Right. It came from our Lord, but it's, it's, it's still it came through them. Right. It's like learning math from one of Hitler's you know, henchmen. Yeah. You know, they may be a good mathematician, and the math they're teaching is sound, but you might be suspect. You might find the whole... Yeah, it's tainted, it's tainted it somehow, maybe. By, by the one who's delivering yeah. it. Yeah. And, and, and it creates that, that, as you say, like a moral obstacle. And so what you have now with the absence of, of um, real moral leadership oftentimes because of various failures, um, I think you have people sort of, they think that they're waking up to the fact they just bought a lie. Right. When they didn't. Um, but that's a, that's a real challenge. Well, I, you know, in, in times past, at least in... Um, our Western culture in America, you've had a greater harmony between the secular culture. Well, maybe not even call it secular, but just sort of the prominent, the predominant culture, and some of these lens, these these lenses, yes, uh, yes, with the faith. But there has been very active uh, cultural revolutions afoot that have been attacking and going after these distinctions. Mm-hmm. And as a result, if you are not careful, you will end up with lenses that you didn't fashion that are going to make you look at the doctrines of the church That's right. as being off. Yeah. And you can't figure out you know, why there's this conflict. You just assume the church must be wrong. Yeah. But in reality, the culture has put, lens, have put lenses on you that you've never taken off and examined, and you really need to. And, and we have been the, the sort of the recipients of people's conversions so many times. In what oftentimes makes them um, take the lenses off is they got hit in the face by right. a truck because they they bought what the what they were seeing through the lenses and they ran into a wall. Yeah, you know, they ran into a, a, a wood chipper. <laughs> Either that, or they saw a bright light that pushed through it all. Right, and they right. can't deny that. Yeah. And they can't understand, and they need now to see that light more clearly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's however you want to put it, but sometimes it's a a, a painful experience where life yeah. brings you to your knees, or sin, and or... like walking into a wall. Or sometimes it's a profound moment. Yes. Where you've been touched, and it's this bright light that pushes through it all, and you realize that's true. That and yeah, that's has that's to it. You know, I remember reading a book about Teresa. I'm sorry, Edith Stein. Um, you know, when she was reading a book, she was stuck at a at some friend's house in a in uh, if I remember correctly it was in the mountains in Germany black forest in Germany and they were it was raining profusely so they were all stuck inside for days 
And you know, she was a philosopher, studied under Husserl and a Jew. And she just picks a book, book off the shelf and she's reading the autobiography of Teresa of Avila. Hmm. And she just closes it and said, that's truth. <laughs> Talk about a grace, yeah. right? That yeah. penetrated. I mean, she wasn't a, this wasn't a matter of sin. She was a massively, mm-hmm. wonderfully accomplished, intelligent woman. And yet saw in something so simple as that yeah. reality. Oh, yeah. And I think that we get glimmers of it, right? I mean, people go to Mass and they, they taste something, they see something. Maybe it's not always you know, this massive, potent light, but... They're sparks, mm-hmm. um, but I do I do think it's an important message to communicate to people that if you look at something in the church and you think it doesn't make sense to you, either there's you need to you know learn more about the faith because there's something not right in what you think you know or you don't know enough, or there are presuppositions that are embedded in the way in which you perceive reality that you need to re-examine. Yeah. Because you're bringing something to the equation. We are not impartial viewers. Right, right. Uh, we have lenses. Yes. And then there's the difficulty that, you know, St. Thomas says that one of the greatest punishments that is embedded in, in sin is the darkening of the intellect. So, to use your example of glasses, imagine, you know, there seems to be some fad going on right now where people are wearing sunglasses inside. I, oh, don't, is that right? I don't get it. Oh. I mean, maybe they've got, you know, hangovers or something. I have no idea. But uh, it's like people wearing glass, sunglasses inside. Sometimes I think fads, I mean, really fads are about just trying something different than as it's been done. So sure, it'll go back to clear at some point yeah. Well, it becomes too trendy. Imagine if you were trying to see things clearly and you had your sunglasses on. Yeah. And you're inside. Um, and that, that happens to us relative to, to moral failure. It, the intellect... It, it just sort of it gets skewed. It doesn't. It sees bl- in a blurry fashion. It doesn't quite pick up things as it gets filtered through our emotional life and our our, our our volitional life in a way that it would normally because we're attached to things. So the moment you begin to show someone something, if it's contrary to the attachment that they have, of course, they don't want to see it. No more than I want to see the re- test results from my doctor. Right? I keep keep that right, off right, right, right. I don't want to look at that. I'm afraid of what it might say. Um, yeah. By the way, going to doctors. Maybe this is a, you know, before we go kind of a thing, but I just got to say, the older you get, like, they never give you a, a sort of a nice pat on the back. No. <laughs> it's always like every time you go there, everything you hear from them is like either you're falling apart, you know, or you got to work on this, you got to do this. And yep. it's like going to a coach that never says, hey, you won. You no, and, it, and you're never going to. I mean, that's the, I mean, that's the thing. You're just, Never going to win that one, right? <laughs> At some point, you're going to lose. Yep. And uh, well, you know, not to say that you shouldn't listen to your doctors, but my my aunt, you know, she was in her late fifties. She had a massive heart attack. She died right there on the spot. A day or two later, her doctor's office called with the results of her physical from the week before, saying she was in good health. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> So, you know, yeah, take well. that with a grain. I don't want to give you any reason not to believe the doctor, yeah. but at least that there's an anecdote there um, that says, ah, they're not as knowing as they think they are. But, um, yeah, it's... Uh, we've talked about aging. Yeah, we have already covered it's, it, I guess. But it's, Yeah, it's, uh, it seems to be a, a favorite topic of, um, of uh, people that I run into. Because we're all old. Yeah, old. They're, they're, they're saying, oh, I remember you talking about getting older. Like, I, 
is as we're all resonating with that same experience. I remember when I, w- I did a Crisillo when I was younger, I think it was in my early 20s. It was, you know, I'm not sure for some, for some people, they may not know what a Crisillo is, but it's a, it's a, it's a Christian movement. It started in Spain. It, it's meant to kind of kickstart your faith, um, to really refocus and re-engage you in your faith. And so it's a three-day weekend kind of experience. And then you, the community of believers support one another in living their faith. So um, I did this, I think it was after my undergraduate, before graduate school. And I was the youngest guy there. I mean, it was, they have men's weekends and women's weekends, and I was the, only, the youngest guy there. And I came out, and at the end, you have an opportunity, like kind of an open mic, say thank you to people and step aside, all the men that did it. And I said, well, I, I, it has occurred to me when I look around, all the older folks that were with me, that I'm clearly an old man stuck in a young man's body. And of course, they laugh. Well, there was a priest behind me, and he comes up, and he was middle-aged at the time. And he says, well, unlike Patrick, who is uh, young, as an old man trapped in a young man's body, I'm a young man trapped in an old man's body. Of course, everyone roared because everyone, you know, shares that experience. Right, so right. The body just... It keeps some, moving on. Yes. Your interior life doesn't get old. <laughs> yes. And the interior life, uh, starts, it doesn't feel like it's moving nearly as quickly. It's not running the same pace. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we kind of um, have to manage that. You know, it, to, to make that dovetail with what we were about the things we were talking about, I remember, I think it was Aristotle that said that one shouldn't teach before the age of 50. Mm. Um, Which back then, uh, there'd probably be a few, few only exactly, a few people, true. teachers left. I, I could be totally wrong on the, on the time, mm-hmm. but I remember, it was, I remember thinking that was so old when yeah, I first yeah. read that. But, but I do kind of get it now, mm. maybe because I'm almost 50. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I think that there's an image that, that helps us with that, and this, this is about the lenses too. Um, and that's this the classic image of prudence um, in the church's iconography. Um, and so if you look at a statue and it's a statue of prudence, you're going to see one of a couple of things. One of them is the face of a usually a very beautiful young woman on the front. But on the back of her head, which was grotesque the first time I saw it, is the face of an old man. And I thought, the first time I saw one of these depictions of the virtue of prudence, I thought, what in the world is this thing? It's it's disgusting. Mm -hmm. But it was trying to depict the fact that when you're looking back at your past, you have all sorts of experience, right? And so you're kind of old back there relative to your past. Mm. And you you can't really be prudent when you're young because you don't have any experience. I see. And, and so by the time you've arrived at prudence, you have so much experience back there and oftentimes lots of mistakes. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean that your face that's looking forward is old. It needs to say, instead of getting cynical or curmudgeonly or mm-hmm. um, uh, jaded, it stays youthful. It actually uses the things that it learned in the past to be lithe in the right. present. Yeah, I remember when um, John Paul II, uh, he, he was asked to have an interview. I think it was with Marco Polo. I can't remember who wrote, who was, he, he was supposed to interview with. And back then, um, it was unheard of for a pope mm. to be interviewed mm-hmm. live. And uh, so he accepted, to, he, he accepted the offer in, the form, in a written form that he would receive the questions and then he would write them. And so he wrote them and then they published it as a book. And it was called Cross, Crossing the Threshold. Oh, I remember that, yeah. yeah I remember, it, actually, I remember where, where I was when I first read it. And it was really quite novel in the sense that a, a, a pope had a book. But it was a series of Q&A 
uh, so you had the reporter asking the questions and the answers were John Paul II like verbose mm-hmm. uh, layered um, layered um, thoughtful responses so there is a section in there on youth and I can't remember what the question was but it didn't really matter the whole section really was about youth if you wanted to call it a chapter but he talked about the that the, the quality of youth is not something that is meant to be shed but to be retained mm. um, that that as we mature and grow there's a, an element to youth that is to be perennial right so elastic in that sense yeah that even when the body does no longer wants to be elastic <laughs> yeah well I mean, exactly well or, or for that matter uh, that sense of wonder mm-hmm. uh, and discovery, um, of optimism. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I find myself going back in my own mind, not with any conscious effort, but just almost subconsciously doing it, recalling when I was younger and how I saw things in comparison to how I see things now. And it's a really beautiful exercise that I've really haphazardly fallen into. Uh, but I recall how I looked forward to Christmas, how I looked forward mm. to Thanksgiving, what it was like, the smells, the sights, and sort of, but more importantly, the interiorly, how I was disposed, how I saw reality. Yeah. And there are aspects to that that I'm trying to reincorporate because they were right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were hopeful. They they saw these simple things as being large. Uh, you know, for example, when you're a kid, your mom, your dad, your family. Those are big, powerful players in your life. But as you start to get older, you realize there's a much bigger world out there. There's so much more, et cetera, et cetera. But then as you go beyond that and you get to a certain age and you realize, no, all of those people are still Big, giants, powerful players. Big, yeah. powerful players. Yeah. And that's where yeah. they're supposed to be. Well, and it's, it's one of the great tragedies, really, of the, the current culture relative to an absence of, of children because you your, your life is moving quickly you're getting powerful you're moving up the corporate ladder whatever the thing is you're putting off marriage you're putting off children etc 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 it's just a common thread now I mean imagine people think you're young if you're getting married at 30 these days um, and when I say tragedy is because you don't have those players like your parents are gone at some point and then where is your family and extended family mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I'm finding that more and more people are in that they're entering into that realm where I didn't not just did I not create social networks with friends, but I don't have family, and that's right. the kind of thing that, irrespective of what happens, you just can't get rid of. That's right. You know, and one always goes back to. That's right. And then, and as a kid, you you just you knew yeah that those were big, and um, but as you grow, you can make poor judgments and and uh, minimize it all and then ultimately you have to come to realize no they're meant to be large yeah they're meant to be they're meant to be big. and the same thing with respect to just approaching um 
the important things in life, mm-hmm. uh, a meal with people. Yeah. Right. You think um, as a kid, you know, these you, you, t- you took them for granted in many ways, but there was there was something more to the whole thing. As you got older, you know, you, you start as you start to grow, you start to think, well, you know, I want to I want to taste this and go there and do this and do that. Right. But as you as you start to become a little more tired of the novelty of tasting this and that and being here and there, you're, you're asking, well, what did I see as a kid? Mm-hmm. And you go back to those elements that were the gems all along. And I think, in many ways, bringing it back to John Paul II, there's that youthful quality that as you grow older, there's a struggle about eschewing it and throwing you to the wayside. Yeah. But then ultimately realizing, no, um, that's meant to always be with me. Uh, there's an element there that's always meant to be. Who is it um, who said, the, the, fur- the further I get away from home, the closer I get to returning or something? Yeah, it was the, an image that G.K. Chesterton had. Chesterton. Like he was going to set sail for, for a wild new land and it, to adventure, et cetera, et cetera. And when he landed, he found all these amazing things. Um, and he was discoursing on what glorious things in this new land that he found until he realized that he was just b- back at home. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think yeah. it's kind of like that. In any event, yeah. I think we've, um, we've ranted enough. Uh, okay. about, about, we, we did our tribute to the age. We'll, we'll keep returning to the age issues. Yeah, as, we'll have no choice. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> because we'll forget if we talked well, about that's, it. <laughs> that's true. That's true. All right. So do you have any, any last, or before we go... <sighs> Well, before uh, we go, I do want to say this. I, I took some time today, um, pursuant to what you mentioned about rekindling always those 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 impressions that one has of youth, not worshiping youth, but but trying to have that impression uh, hit you in that fresh way with fresh eyes and no particular lenses, as it were. Um, to, to use all the things you have learned that are true, and yet to look at things freshly. And I just went. Before I came to see you today, I just took ten minutes, and we, the colors right now are, of course, exceptionally oh, yeah, vibrant. They really and, are, and we're fortunate to live on a lot of land. And so I went for an incredible walk. I think I sent you a picture to send to your yes, to your you mom, did, yeah, yeah, because the colors were incredible. But I, I, I just stopped, and I, I love stopping in the woods and refuse to move and just stare. Um, it's a silly thing on one level, but for all of us who who find ourselves in a position of saying that we are quote unquote busy. I've got this new thing I'm telling all the staff, like, I don't want to hear you're busy. I'm not going to say it anymore either. I want us to say that we're full. Like I'm, my life is full. And fullness might mean that I can just stop and take in the things that are around me, the beauty of the thing of falling leaves in autumn. That's full too. That's gorgeous. And I love it. So please do it. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Well, you know, you, you sent me that picture. so. It doesn't require much of my imagination yeah. to, to picture the walk that you took because all those autumn leaves are yeah. just so beautiful and brilliant. And they're still on the tree, right? So mm-hmm. some on the ground, but most of them are on, the tr- uh, are on the tree. And as you're talking, I actually can smell it. Oh, that smell of fall. The, that the wonderful autumn slight decay. Smell, but, yes. Yeah. I, I can actually smell it. So <laughs> speaking of smells, uh, I've stumbled on diffusers with those oils. Mm. So my office right now Smells like pumpkin pie. 
<laughs> I've got, I ordered a batch of autumn You sticks. are not satisfied no, with the uh, Yankee candle anymore. No, You're no. going full on diffuse. I am full on because the, for those candles, they go out too quickly. They get, you know, black and gunky and, you know, they can be a hazard if you forget about them. Um, and then they can lose their smell mm-hmm. at some point. So you know what? The diffuser, that has been a bit of a win. <laughs> Because then I get to have, you know, these scents. So now I come in. The problem is I'm still kind of figuring out how many drops are enough and how many drops are too much. So a couple times here in the chance we have had the too much on. So you walk into the hallway. And it's pumpkin. Oh, and the whole thing smells like an apple pie. or just, you know, It smells like well, somebody's baking. Knowing you, I just assumed that you did eat an apple pie. <laughs> <laughs> so now you're going to go back and you're going to smell oh, it. I am going to go smell it. Yeah. Everyone have a great week. God bless you all. All right. You too. Makes me Thanks for listening to this episode of From the Rooftop. For updates about new episodes, special guests, and exclusive deals for From the Rooftop listeners, sign up at rooftoppodcast.com. And remember, for more great ways to deepen your faith, check out all the spiritual resources available at tanbooks.com. And we'll see you again next time. From the Rooftop. Rooftop.